0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special combined podcast. This is a combination of living history and our sister podcast, Peter Hart's Military History. I'm Matt McLaughlin, and joining me is Peter Hart. Hi.
1: Well, that's great to be here. And it's so nice to be without Gary and the farting dog. I mean, that just adds a certain tone to the. the, the this is sort of so much more sophisticated with just you, man. <laughs> It does feel like that, doesn't it? it does, you know, this there's, this there's, it does feel like there's something missing, though.
0: So, you know, we, I'm, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to getting back to recording with Gary as well. Oh yes, so oh yes. For anyone who's confused, my podcast, Matt McLaughlin's Living History. Uh, hopefully, you're subscribing and listening to that. There's also Peter Hart's Military History, normally done in conjunction with his good chum Gary Bain. And uh, the farting dog, Fred the farting dog. So it's well worth checking out both podcasts if you you haven't already done so. I wanted to get you, Pete, on the show. Um, I mean, we've talked to you a lot lately. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. (laughs) But I wanted to get you on the show because it's really exciting this week because we have mentioned before that in conjunction together... We are publishing a Gallipoli book. You've written an amazing book about the Gallipoli evacuation, um, which I have the great fortune to be publishing for you. So Living History, our first book ever. We're going to be right. book publishers after this. This is our first book. Uh, and I just wanted to get you on the, on the show to talk about it as this sort of special bonus episode, because it's done now. You've written the manuscript. You've delivered it. I'm in the process of editing it. It's great so far, I've got to say. Nice work. Um, but I just wanted to have a chat to you about that process of writing this book, because it's not often we get to get inside the mind of an author, at this stage of a, of a book project, that could actually. Now that I think about it, that could be a mistake. But we'll, uh, I'm we'll tread not sure carefully. About this. We'll tread carefully. <laughs> but I really just wanted to get you on, Pete, to talk about um, really the process that led to the book because I think it's really fascinating. It's great that we've come together to work on this book, and I just wanted to hear a little bit more about it. So let's start. I mean, I know the reason, like why you decided to write this book was because I came to you and said, "Pete, would you write a book for me?" <laughs> so there is, there is that. But we had a bit of a chat about it and pretty quickly you settled on the concept of the – I was saying we should do something on the Gallipoli landing, but you pretty quickly said, no, 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 that's been done to death. Let's focus on the evacuation. What was, what was your reason for thinking the evacuation was something you want to focus on?
1: Well, it, 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 it sort of went – the whole process went sort of uh, – first. it had to be First World War because uh, my, 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 if you like, real publisher, you know, the ones I'm contracted to, as opposed to Trump's with, you know, uh, are, uh, w- uh, are directed me firmly to the Second World War. So it had to be First World War. For my personal interest, it had to be Gallipoli. What hasn't been done at Gallipoli? Well, funnily enough, in conversation, we've identified three or four topics, that haven't been done. But the one that really leapt out at me was the, and I'm not saying no one's ever studied it before, but no one's covered it in detail. And it, it's also the fact, and I tried to do this in my other books, it's a two part story. And in some ways, and this is not what Australians want to hear, uh, in some ways, the evacuation of Hellas was more touch and go uh, because of the weather. You know the weather turned nasty, and and it's a real drama. Both all all the evacuations are real dramas. It's it's you know it, you almost find yourself thinking, are they going to get away with this, or God, this is a bit tight, you know, <laughs> and and so much could go wrong. Um, so and 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 also I had not previously realised um, the absolute importance of Brudenell White. Uh, in developing the overall plan. You know, he uh, was Birdwood's chief of staff with the Anzac Corps. And and that's the sort of thing that, that that, that you know, you think, how many times, can, you know, I knew about this, I knew his name, I knew what he'd done, but I hadn't really cons- hadn't looked at the detail. It's when you dig into things, Matt, that things get excited. Um, sometimes detail can be boring, the sort of academic which unit was where you know minor you know boring Ugh. but other detail how things happen why they happen how people feel about what happening what people think's going to happen these are what are interesting to me as a historian you know uh, and 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 this book gave me the opportunity to really dig into the evacuation and uh, and to, to to sort of get me shovel out and (laughs) dig down and have a look and and i loved the process loved it
0: i mean it shows in the manuscript i can see your enthusiasm for the subject in you know i i love the fact that you write as you speak pete and i can see that enthusiasm (laughs) coming through on every page um just tell me something about the evacuation we gallipoli has been picked to death i mean it wasn't even that very it wasn't even a very long campaign and over the last century it has been dissected and carved up and every part of it has been dug into and explored and rehashed. We've done everything from the landings to Lone Pine in the Neck and the Battles of Krithia and the August Offensive. I mean, Gallipoli has been dissected more than probably just about any other campaign, at least of the First World War. But not the evacuation. The evacuation seems to be a story of self-firing rifles invented by oh, some plucky sake. Aussies in the trenches, <laughs> you know, um, a- a tiny little bit about the, the storm that hit Gallipoli, but only in the context of, oh, well, that's what finally convinced them that they had to leave. And then we got away under the nose of Johnny Turk without him even noticing, and aren't we great? Um, that is true, obviously. All those elements are true. Well, those elements but why, are true. why does the evacuation get
1: overlooked when it's such an important part of the whole story? It, because it, it, it's... I think partly it's, it's difficult because it... it uh, when you write in a book, you, you have a narrative drive you know this, whatever book you're on, you've got to make sure that, you know, you hold the listener. And the story of the evacuation has a very sharp gear change or gear shift. I don't drive a car. (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, so you have the drama of the first evacuation builds up to a crescendo of Suvla and Anzac, particularly Anzac is very tight. And then, there's a sort of gear change, and it goes back, and then and then and then you have to tell the same story again. And I think that's put authors off, um, you know, because it's technically quite difficult to maintain the reader's interest. I think I've managed that because because I've done the shift by looking at the uh, the diversionary actions fought at Helles after. The uh, after the evacuation of Suvla uh, so although they're taking place contemporaneously—that's a word I shouldn't have tried to say—they, um, um, the, the, um, although they take taking I, I deal with them afterwards, so I have a sort of link that carries the narrative through. Um, it, 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 it's a, it's, it, it was great fun to write. Uh, that way, there is a technical problem there that you have to, and I think I've overcome it. I don't think you'll find the book suffers from it. Uh, I think that's put authors off, but I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you now. When you say and, and and not a serious disagreement, obviously, or I'll be thrown off the podcast. Uh, he's a very strict man, Matt. You say his name <laughs> wrong, and he's off. Um, and no, but we you say it's been covered, but has it? It's covered up to the end of August there are four more months of the campaign there's fighting going on at helles and and uh, around hill 60 and, and and all the way through there's things like uh, there's, there's great there's even chunks of the battlefield like the boot which is to the uh, north of um, Kirich tepe which I'm going to take you to uh, an amazing area it's a whole big bit of the battlefield that bit of the battlefield is probably bigger than anzac you know and and yet we don't know. I just don't I, don't. I know where the lines were. I've been to the trenches. I've looked at the trenches. No one ever goes there, uh, except with me and uh, with Bill Sellers and a couple of other idiots uh, who are willing to go. Um, and the, the, so there's these gaps in our knowledge. And one of the gaps in our knowledge is, is a proper understanding of the evacuation as a whole process. Um, and, and so, you know, it, 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 it there's, there's still things to discuss at Gallipoli. And, and I'm finding the later phases of the campaign increasingly difficult, which is basically where they're trying to cement their position, uh, looking to make small tactical gains. So the fighting goes on. There's just no big attacks. But there's people are getting killed. The, the, the dysentery carries on until late in the winter. Uh, there's plenty to talk about at Gallipoli. And, you know, we, I may even revisit the period in October and November at a later date. It's a great point, Pete, because when we look
0: at these overall accounts of the Gallipoli campaign, they do seem to come to a bit of a screeching halt after sort of August 21, you know, Battle of Scimitar Hill, Hill 60, the end of the August offensive. Um, And then the rest of it sort of gets summarized as, and then they held their positions for several months and eventually (laughs) evacuated. So you're right, there is, a, there is a bit of a black hole in the Gallipoli
1: story about yeah, those last there's, four there's, months of the campaign. There's four months from April to August, but there's four months from August to December. Now, my maths isn't good, so you may pick me up on this, but, but you see my point. And 90% of books on Gallipoli, including mine, are on the first 50% so the, there 's plenty to discuss and and the evacuation has sort of fallen into this, not saying that we't you know people haven 't done work on it because i I respect the work of academics and people in the field who have been looking at this. Pete um just tell me about the evacuation. Was it this
0: amazing achievement like we we often talk about? It? We talk about it was miraculous how we managed to pull this together. It was incredibly well organized we got away under the noses of the Turks without them knowing. Was it as great an achievement as we
1: like to think? Yes, I I, I absolutely think it's an amazing achievement. In November, they had a hundred... I'm going to go... I've I've written it down, obviously, or I wouldn't get it right. In November, they had 134,728 men, 393 guns and 14,587 mules and horses at uh, the combined garrisons of Suvla, Anzac and Helles. Now... They all had to be got away. You know, how? When, the, you know, at uh, at Helles the trenches are a couple of yards apart, up, 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 by, uh, up on uh, Gully Spur. Um, at, at Anzac, they're even closer at places like Quinn's, you know. Uh, at Suvla, <laughs> they're all round you, and you've got three or four miles to get back. I mean, there's different... There's different problems. So at Suvla, you're not so overlooked. You're overlooked, but not so, you know, not, not you're not two yards away. You're a couple of hundred, three hundred yards away. But you've got to go back three or four miles. At At, at Anzac, yeah, you're incredibly overlooked. You're, you're only feet away. Uh, you've only got to go back quarter of a mile, you know. So there's different problems uh, at helles there 's a combination of both you 've got three or four miles to go back, and in places you 're right close together. I keep telling people Helles is probably the biggest technical problem there 's no beach uh, the beaches aren 't as good as, in some ways so you you 've got all this going on uh, and how to do it and The normal plan would be to launch a huge diversionary attack somewhere, possibly a new landing at Belair, something like that to deflect attention away and then sneak off. Uh, probably falling back in stages. And this, indeed, was the the plan uh, that uh, several British generals were going for. But Brudenell White and uh, and Birdwood, uh, you know, you've got to give Birdwood the credit as well. People think Birdwood, you know, it's all Brudenell White. But, of course, who's responsible? You know, uh, they come up with the idea of the secret evacuation. And they're not. They're going to hold the front line right to the end, and they're going to re- rely on a, a series of, of ruse de guerres, or, you know, the and and of them the only one we ever hear about it's a sodding uh, automatic the the rifle the the uh, self-firing rifle which was a brilliant innovation you know water dripping down knocking something over to give the jerk to the trigger and uh, fab, fabulous great great idea but they only cover you for 30 minutes that's the longest they reckon and there weren't that many of them and it, and the really important thing is that Brudenell White introduced straight away, before the end of November, before the bloody politicians had agreed anything, because they delayed, he'd introduced the silent periods. And the silent periods are worthy of a book themselves, I think. (laughs) You know, basically, you all go quiet. Shh. And even if you see the Turks, you don't fire at them. And you keep this up for, for as long as it takes until eventually the Turks come wandering across and you shoot the buggers. Now, that's not nice for those poor Turks, obviously, and we regret the deaths now, looking back. But at the time, what you're doing, it's like Pavlov's, don't, you're, you're, t- you're, t- you're training, you're training the Turks that if it goes quiet and they do anything, they'll get killed. And it's a great sort of psychological method. And this is it's this that I think allows us to get away with it, because you think you're a you're a picture yourself now as a young Turk. I often picture you as a young Turk. Uh, Matt. Uh, Gary says <laughs> some really strange things, um, but um, picture yourself. You're in the frontline trench. And you've been through one of these. A couple of your mates have been killed, you know, when they were sent to a patrol to investigate a silent period. And there's a silent period on the night at Anzac on the night of uh, of the 19th, 20th of December. And you think it's all gone quiet over there. Do you, A, tell your sergeant and then officer and see what happens and what will happen? Well, you'll probably be sent into no man's land. Or do you, B, keep bloody quiet? Which would well, you do? Of course, do?
0: you're going to keep quiet. You're going to, you've seen it night after night.
1: Why would this night be any different? And, and the thing is, it's human nature. And people say the Turks must have known. Must they? If you read the correspondence, I don't read Turkish. I don't read German either. I am a really bad historian. But if you read, uh, the, if the correspondence in Harvey Broadbent's books. You know the, the he's been looking at Turkish archives. If you look at uh, von Sanders' book and Kenan book, they, they're German officers and staff officers. They didn't know, and I believe them. And so therefore, this this, this scheme created by Bruden L. White, signed off by uh, by Birdwood, and then signed off by Monroe, the the real commander in chief of the whole army. Um, wow, um, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant, and it is a brilliant achievement. And just the sheer hard work the, the the planning the the millions of details the uh, just getting the navy on board you know the royal navy because of course where they're going without the navy <laughs> you get to the beach well, well, oh. <laughs> it's a long it's a long walk back to the uk <laughs>
0: a long uh, swim the navy <laughs> <laughs> pete in putting all this together I mean, you know more about Gallipoli than just about anyone, but there must have been uh, no, something. No, that's... there's lots of experts. <laughs> okay, you know as much as anyone, but um, uh, there must have been. Was there something new that you discovered that you hadn't realised about the evacuation during this process?
1: I hadn't realised quite how bad the uh, the great the great uh, storm was. You know, uh, I'd written about it and I'd got a couple of quotes, but I hadn't delve down into the accounts and they're they're chilling I think we did a podcast on it before uh you and I and some of the accounts are absolutely chilling and and chilling's the wrong word (laughs) but it's it's just the utter misery the floods the and then the snow and the freezing and 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 I had not realized how bad it was uh i I discovered uh uh I found out how bloody irritating the navy were And what a spanner they nearly threw in the works by suddenly deciding that they could take the straits without the army or just with a a, a simultaneous land attack which is never going to happen and they hold up the they provide a sort of escape hatch for the politicians you know oh it's all right it's all right we can we can uh we can have a naval attack and everything we don't have to evacuate and this really holds things up again i hadn't hadn't realized how bad and uh the rather acerbic chief of staff of Monroe, uh lyndon bell referred to it as the swan song of the lunatics yeah benny was a nice bloke. I've I talked to Gary, we were saying, we keep coming across this, how many bad-tempered generals and chief of staff there are. <laughs> and, well, and people I, can discover that firsthand <laughs> when they read the book. But uh. yeah. um, So, uh, so that, that was all. And, and that, that was I hadn't realised just what a spanner in the works the Navy put. I mean, they, the, the Navy then performed brilliantly. And it's it's they are in many ways they are the senior service because they may they may occasionally go a bit off piste like that but they do when they get their minds refocused you know they they perform brilliantly you know and the same officers Weems and uh, and Keys who are, are promoting this stupid attack on the straits uh, are, are the people in charge of organising you know well their staff organising getting all the boats in the right place at the right time uh, amazing achievement by the Royal Navy
0: just finally um like all the work that you do uh given your nearly four decades as an oral historian a a big component of of the way you tell this story is in the words of the men that were there and this book is no exception I've really been enjoying hearing the men themselves talk about this this period of the Gallipoli campaign why is it important that we we listen to the words of these men and that we tell
1: these stories through the words of the men that were there um uh, it, it's crucial now I, I use oral history diaries letters I use any form of personal experience and it's crucial you would not understand what Lyndon Bell was right like if you just read uh, you know if you don't delve into his correspondence and and see what a waspish <laughs> bad-tempered bugger he was that's how you find out And and the reader you may find it out but the reader won't find out unless you put the quotes on the page so that the reader themselves can, can see what this person is like because they read what they say. You don't need a historian to filter it because if you filter it, you remove the thing that he's a waspish, bad-tempered bastard. And, 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 but that's crucial to understanding who Lyndon Bell was. Monroe, another bad-tempered bugger. If you don't read his, I mean, he's, he's an intellectual general. And, and if you, you know, you need that. He, he came, he saw he capitulated. No, he came, he analyzed, he made a decision, and then he stuck to it because he didn't change his mind without new evidence. Um, so, and it was the right decision. I mean, I don't
0: think anyone would was, argue yeah. looking back that that was the wrong <laughs> <laughs> decision to evacuate Gallipoli. They should have done it months
1: earlier. If they could. Uh, absolutely. But then again, these men, so you can understand from personal accounts. The way these men are, what they're like, what, what, why, perhaps they've gone that way. Those decisions they made. But then, for me, the really important thing is how does that impact on the lives of the men under their command? And you know, if you say it was cold, oh yeah. Well, how does that get across? You know. But if you read or listen to the accounts of the people caught up in the great freeze, if if I say it was tense on the last night, well. Yeah, I'm a bloody historian. A hundred and five years later, oh, what do I know? But if you've got the account of the person who was there, and that you know, sometimes even their writing, especially if they're writing contemporaneous uh, letters or diaries, they they're, they're, they actually betray what they're feeling, or not betray? They they show what they're feeling, and and that for me, I think uh, people say, "Oh, it's just copying it out." Well, for a start, they're edited so that they're relevant. I mean. That's removal of material, not changing. uh, So they fit the the overall narrative. Uh, But most of all, that is your evidence. And people say, well, why can't you tell the story? Well, I'd rather let them tell it in their own words. And that's what this book's all about. Telling the story in the words of the men who were there. That's what's important to me. And I think you share that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've been loving reading the manuscript and, and and it's just such an insight into what was going on. So um, I'm fortunate that I uh, get a, a bit of a sneak peek of, uh, of, of what's coming out, but uh, everyone will be able to read the book themselves when it comes out in early September. Uh, we're going to do, you can pre-order the book from about June and I'm reminding people that if you pre-order the book, there's going to be a very special bonus from Peter Hart, which we won't reveal right now, but we will reveal that in the coming it's weeks. It's a secret. But there will, be, uh, there will be a special bonus you will get if you pre-order the book uh, before uh, before it's released. So we will have full details about that throughout all these channels on websites and social media and everything. So look out for the book, The Gallipoli Evacuation. It's going to be coming out in the first week of September. We're so excited. Pete, thank you so much for your contribution. It's a brilliant addition to our Knowledge Bank of the Gallipoli campaign. And, mate, thanks for joining us to talk about it today.
1: Been an absolute pleasure. I mean, what what more fun can you have than talking about Gallipoli? That's what I always say. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.